I just think right now, women, especially in business, this is the year of women. I just know that. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Nobody can tell me differently on it. When you start teaching something, I feel like that's when you start to master the actual art of it. You and I, when we publish a book, we can go toe-to-toe with any of the New York trade publishers, any of the big-time authors, and we get to compete in that marketplace and then let the market decide whether our stuff is good. People forget sometimes as an entrepreneur, the whole damn point of entrepreneurship is to make money. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss. Heather Havenwood. Have you ever wanted to stop the nine to five grind and start your own company? Do you want to have more control of your income and your time? Then now is that moment to start and grow a successful business. As a female entrepreneur, I have succeeded. I have bit the dust. I have bounced back to growth and prosperity. But this would not have been possible without first taking the leap and owning my own business. But I didn't do it alone. I hired my first business coach 13 years ago. And now I help small businesses, solo practitioners, and professionals double their income and triple their time off. So let me help you too. My gift to you today is a free one-on-one strategy session. So go to coachwithheather.com, coachwithheather.com. And let me help you double your income and triple your time off. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Win with Heather Havenwood here on Facebook Live, as well as heatherhavenwood.com forward slash podcast. And I am super excited to talk to Doberman Dan today because Doberman Dan I've known for many years and I've been his mastermind before and I've actually interviewed him many years ago, many moons ago back in the day and I get to interview him again and ask him all kinds of questions because I haven't had a chance to catch up with him. So uh, I get to ask him questions live in front of you and if he messes up, then it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this is live, right? Okay. Well, now I'm nervous. Yeah, exactly. You're not nervous. You look adorable, by the way. You said, oh, I need to get a haircut. You look adorable. I just want to take your like you're because this is new. This is new. That's right. Since you last see me, that is new. And yes, I am hiding something. They say people with beards want to hide something. So yes, that's right. I'm hiding the fact that I'm getting older, but it doesn't work since this is all gray. (laughs) I think it's cute. It kind of makes you want to like, I want to do this to it. Like, Oh, thanks. I think it's cute. It's actually very cute. It, it, it's it's different for you. I, I like the look. I like the go. Okay, so everyone, I'm going to explain to you who Doberman Dan is. You're like, who is this dude? Doberman Dan is at DobermanDan.com. Doberman Dan helps entrepreneurs create extraordinary lives. He's a 30-year serial ve- veteran, direct response copywriter, and two-time best-selling author. He started several info marketing info product businesses, and four different nutritional supplement businesses at the same time. He is regularly hired to write sales copy for some of the most successful direct response marketers and publishers in the world. He's also recently hired by a one but billion dollar year direct response co- marketing company to help launch a brand new supplement division. Dan has been published to the Doberman Dan Letter since 2001 and has and has helped many other people be successful in the direct response marketing world. So welcome, welcome, welcome. 
Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this. This is exciting. You can also find him at DobermanDan.com. So I have to giggle because I, um, I reached out to you and uh, we, we set this up and I looked at your Skype ID. Now, what, before I say this, so at the time, literally two days before I reached out to you, I started uh, listening audible to Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Again. Oh, really? second time in my life but it'd been many years and I thought yeah this is a good time for me to do this I'm going through a ton of changes in my life and for some reason it's like I can actually hear the message of Fountainhead for the first time I didn't really get it the first time I was interested in the characters and now I get it it's all about the individual and the capitalism and it's like all this deep stuff for some reason I'm hearing and then of course I reach out to you two days later and I forgot that your Skype ID is John Right, right. <laughs> like when when Skype was still as in its infancy stage, I got that because you know there'd be no chance of getting that nowadays. No, no, it does. And everyone's going. I don't get the connection. Um, I would just say to you, pick up Ayn Rand and, and read the book, and then you'll know who who is John Galt. Right? Who is John Galt? That is the question. That is the question. Who is John Galt? And that's not in Fountainhead, by the way. That's her other book. But, jo- but Fountainhead is very similar to the idealism of being an individual and capitalist and being unique and being different. And I find it really fascinating, and I'll jump, I'm going to jump into your world, but I do find it really fascinating how much that book, which was written in the, what, 40s? 50s, or late 40s, early 50s, I believe, yeah. But it's so valid today. Oh, my God. It's like Bernie Sanders versus Trump in that whole book you can literally pinpoint the characters of bernie sanders and donald trump in that book so it was really interesting how how even though time has gone on it's still a very interesting conversation about entrepreneurship individualism and so you're an individual you're an entrepreneur tell us a little bit more about um about you and how you're a 30-year veteran how you got started and, and just kind of what you're up to nowadays well So I had no direction as a kid. The only thing I really wanted to do was be a professional musician. And so that was the plan the whole time, even though that was discouraged most of my life. And uh, so, you know, like I had no, that was it. That was the plan. I'm going to be a professional musician. I'm going to play music. I got to go, mom, see ya. Yeah, pretty much. And then, what I quickly learned that wasn't like the most realistic of plans since I wanted to sleep indoors and eat somewhat regularly. So yeah, I know it's, it's so selfish of me, (laughs) but you know, I did try, I did try for a short period of time to support those two bad habits with music and it just did not work out well. But you ended up being a cop. Yeah, weird path there, professional musician. Knowing you, like, because I've known you, I've spent time with you, mastermind with you. It's like, it still goes, cop, Dan, cop, no, no, I don't see that one. Yeah. One at all. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. You know, here's a good example. When, when you don't make your own decisions, others make decisions for you. When you don't direct your own life, your life gets directed by others. So here's how I wound up as a cop, something I never 
wanted to do. So here I am, 18, out on my own, just recently graduated from high school and figured out really fast, you know, I'd have to sleep in a tent if I kept up the music career. So, so I took the first job I could get, and it was as a security guard in Akron, Ohio, at one of the rubber plants while they were on the, the, the workers were on strike. So 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., I sat inside to make sure that the strikers, you know, didn't set the place on fire. And so that job, yeah, minimum wage, it's, I had a uniform and everything. You know, I was maybe 135 pounds soaking wet right out of high school in a uniform. With a gun? So, Did you have a gun on this? No, side? no gun. Now, hey, there's, there's your baby. Oh yeah, she just kind of walks in between. Just let her just, yeah. Um, I just don't find, I don't, look, I know you want, look, I can say this. I'm sorry, but if I was a burglar and I saw you, I'd be like, nah, just, let's keep going. <laughs> I don't think I would be scared. <laughs> it was even worse when I was 18, you know, <laughs> it was like, even, so one of my friends who was quite a bit older, he's like 10 years older than me. He dropped me off my first night at this job. Now this guy looks scary. Big 250-pound biker with a big, long beard, you know, the Harley shirt. And he drops me off. And the, and the guys who were, on, you know, on strike outside the gate say, does he have a gun? And my friend says, no, but he just needs to make one phone call. And there'll be a lot of guns here. And they'll be uh, being brandished. I'm not talking about the cops. These are guns being brandished by people you don't want pointing guns at you. And the so like the strikers got the message and they're like, okay, message received. And and from that point on, they're really friendly to me. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So how did you move from cop to here? That's a huge leap, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, so my point was because I needed money and I had to take a job. I got that security job which I wanted to make more money. So that led to getting another better paying security job. And then I met some cops who said, you know, by that time I lived in Dayton, Ohio. They said, the city of Dayton is giving a test uh, for police officers you should take. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't have anything else to do that day, but I'm sure I'll be disqualified as soon as I uh, hear how much weed I smoked in high school. But, you know, so like no direction. And that's... <laughs> That's how I wound up as a cop. Okay. Ask, were you surprised that you actually passed the cop test? Because there's a psychological test there. And I'm like, are you surprised? There was, yeah, there was a psychological test. There was a polygraph test, a lie detector. They interviewed people where I grew up. They interviewed teachers. They interviewed my neighbors. They interviewed my employers. Uh, yeah. And so I was just honest. Did they ask you, like, did you smoke pot? You're like, yeah, like. Because they're doing a polygraph test, right? Did, I mean, did you have yeah. Like, yeah, I did. Oh, that was one of the tamest questions, the pot smoking question. They, they were way worse than that. Uh, like, for example, have you ever had sex with an animal? What? Yeah. Not ask you that. I'm serious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I've always been somewhat of a smartass, and i I had actually, because I was warned about these questions, and I'd already come up with some really smart-ass answers. 
But then one, you know, when they hook you to this machine, this polygraph, there's electrodes all over your chest and this thing that monitors your breathing. I thought, mm, I don't think it'd be, if I want this job, I don't think it'd be a good idea to give my smart ass answers. So. Right, right. So you're like, so, so when they asked the question, I could totally see you making some smart remark back and also laughing, you know, <laughs> I had to be like, I think they deliberately tried to make you as nervous as possible. You know, they, they put you in this scary looking room and, and everybody looks so somber and serious and yeah. Oh my God. That's really funny. I could just, I can't, I can't imagine you doing that now. And I have to have to this, this one story. There was a time in my life a couple of years ago. This is many years ago. I was living in Florida and I was going to get a waitress position because I need the money. And they gave me this test. I didn't pass the test. So here's what's happened. Here I am. The guy loved me. He's like, yeah, you're hired. We'll start tomorrow. You're awesome. Whatever. You're great at sales. You'd be great. So I'm like, okay. All of a sudden, he comes back like an hour later, and he has this look on his face. He's like, you, you didn't pass the test. No one's never passed the test. You know, <laughs> like a sociopath. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. Because I would, I just come off being in this massive entrepreneur you know, building these businesses and all that. And I was just in that time where I was in Marco and like things were bad. Right. So I just went and was like, I'll go get this work. And my mindset was very individual and very entrepreneurial and think outside the box. And this particular test, I think was very much about like in like, being inside the box, like do what you're told, no matter how you feel about it. And if you're told to do this, how are you going to handle it? And I was answering the questions like an entrepreneur. And and so then I I didn't get hired. You should have seen the guy's face. He was like, (laughs) how did you, I don't understand. You know, and I'm like, it's okay. I'm not like, it's okay. It's fine. I'll go like to your next door company that doesn't have these tests and it's fine. So, and then I I was was only there for like two or three months because I am an entrepreneur. I started to look for like, hey, your systems are all wrong here. You guys can make more money in the structure of the systems and (laughs) hostess i'm like yeah but still you guys can like totally miss out like thousands of dollars every single night They're like yeah you're gone so um i overset my boundaries all the time so let's talk about <laughs> you today you now are hired by a billion dollar company you i didn't know you've um started a new settlement company i want to talk to you about in the green room actually i know you started one settlement company you sold it so tell us about what your life looks like today so big big leap from being a cop from here i never intended to be a cop very long it was just it was like I needed a better job, something with health insurance and stuff like that, like a real job. And so I thought I'd stay there for a few years till I moved on to something better. I just didn't know what that something was. So uh, somebody showed me the Amway business back in the 80s. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, man, I was totally hit up on that. Yeah. So I think everybody in the country has been hit up at least once. But I mean, like they totally hooked me and it's long story short. I won't go through that story, but yeah, I mean, I, that was several years of that, but at least it got me realizing like, you know, nobody had ever presented the opportunity or the, even the option of considering I could have my own business or start my own business. So, even though I wasn't successful at that, it led to other businesses <laughs> that I was unsuccessful at for nine years. And then finally, 
all those failures led to finding direct response marketing. I started a mail order business. This is back pre-internet days in the bodybuilding niche. And then that was the first successful business after nine years of serial business failure. And so I had to learn how to write copy for that. And then really, so, so that was like 1995, I guess. And from then until 2012, how I supported those two bad habits of sleeping indoors and eating regularly where with starting my own kitchen table businesses, as I'm fond of calling them, they're all driven by direct response marketing and driven by my own copy. And then, so it wasn't until I really didn't start as working as a freelance copywriter until 2012 when I sold uh, my last remaining, well, it's not my last remaining business. When I sold uh, a supplement business in the, in the, in the bodybuilding space. And so, now, since then, in addition to starting, continuing to starting a few kitchen table businesses here and there, I've also been prostituting out uh, my mind for to the highest bidder, so to speak. Oh, my God, I love it. I'm so going to steal that. <laughs> prostituting. What do you do for a living? I prostitute my mind to the highest bidder when you <laughs> prostitute my mind we call that freelance no it's called prostitute and it really is that i mean i know that's that it is true i mean it's totally true um i i guess i prostitute my mind i prostitute my mind too we're we're two prostitutes (laughs) (laughs) that's what i do i prostitute my mind for them so that's really a weird way to say it (laughs) for you say it than me oh it's it really sounds way better for me than for you (laughs) Let's keep that on you. Let's keep that I, on you. I think that would be smart. That'd be smart. Okay, but it's funny. I do have to say it's funny. It makes sense. It makes sense. So um, so interesting. What's cool about you when I met you, what what year did I do your mastermind? What was that, 2013, 14? I think so, yeah, because that was the first year I did it. Wow. You never invited me back. Well, well I, I just thought I, I offended you so badly that you never wanted to come back. I was the only girl there. I was the only girl there. It was yeah, yeah. I was the only girl there twice, which I loved. No, I loved it. I loved coming to Florida. I thought you were mad at me, so I was like, oh, maybe I, I'm not. I don't fit in. But it was cool too because I met some really cool people there, and I did meet uh, some people there that had bought one of your businesses and the, the team that had taken it. And what I loved about meeting the people that had bought the business at the time, I don't know what's going on now, but like I, I bought the. It, you bought, they bought it from you. And then you were like mentoring them. Like you were mentoring them still on the growth and development of your baby. I just loved that. I thought that was super cool. Cause it was like, you built this baby and it's now like a teenager or maybe like a mid adult, you know, and then someone bought the mid adult and then now you're like working with them to make it bigger for them. Like it was such a prosperity thing that I thought you did, but I would love to come back. That's why I don't know. Well, you, you'd feel, I, I think you'd, well, of course, you were comfortable at the, the one you were at, but there's a few more women now. You won't be the only woman. It's fine. I, I have no problem with the sausage fest. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Very normal. I, I don't mean that in an in a offensive way, by the way. It's very normal to me to go to masterminds, and I'm either one or two of the only women that are not there as an assistant or a wife, right? So they're like the ones at the table. It's just very normal. It's not. And I still have your cup. Remember you gave the cups? And oh, yeah. The only one that you gave a pink one to, that was probably your wife who did that. Was this 
Uh-huh. Yes, that's right. And I still have that. Oh, how cool. I do. I still have it. Tell your wife that. Thank you very much for my pink cup. because I, I will. That was the only one with the pink one. Everything got gray or black or something. I got pink. So, okay. So now you're working with a billion dollar company um, and you're welcome to say it or not. I don't know what your structure is with that, but it's pretty cool. The company you're working with, I think that is, I think it's cool. So what are you doing now specifically? Is there a particular niche of your copywriting that you're doing now? And, and maybe give some insight on that. Um, Dan Kennedy says he's watched me, uh, like like a pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other. Like I go in these phases where like, you know what? Running businesses suck. I just want to work with the clients. And then it's not very long after I do that, that I think, you know what? Clients suck. I just want to go back to running my own business. <laughs> and so like I'm doing this thing. So now I think I'm finding more of a balance. Um, I, I am, so I have, I still have my own membership, which I affectionately call the marketing Camelot. And I've, here's a case. The cobbler's kids have no shoes. I've never had a real front end for that, Heather. It's just been, yeah, you have it. That's right. it's like whoever finds me by pure dumb luck, you know, they either hear about me from somebody or just pure dumb luck SEO, for some reason they stumble upon one of my old blog posts or something, and then they opt into my list, and then they get pitched the marketing Camelot and daily emails. That's been it. Well, finally, I've got a, a actual real front end for that coming out, so I'm going to start treating that like a real business. Finally! Like a real child, like a real business, like a real business. So, by the way, the pendulum thing going on, I have to say I completely... Um, relate to that. I relate to that a lot. I think a lot of entrepreneurs relate to that. Yeah, that's typical entrepreneurial ADD, I think. And what what so you said you found the balance, Zen Master. Tell us hmm. how you maybe give us some insight of that balance you found. Well, I, I think I've found it. Talk to me in six months and I'll probably be a different story. <laughs> with it now are you like balancing between owning your own business again and client work or like kind of what are you doing there well so it wasn't that long ago uh i was i was coaching some people on my system for starting a supplement business and uh the first group that went through that a bunch of those guys launched and were doing really well right right off the bat and i thought hmm you know i haven't done this for a while if i still got it so i launched my own supplement business again, even though I said I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go back into that business, but I launched one again. And then, so then I started having all the issues that reminded me why I wanted out of it, like inventory issues and like, okay, well, Hey, if I place this order for inventory today, it'll time perfectly. So I won't have back orders or stuff like that. And then, you know, you call a place to order and they're like, hey, we got a raw material issue and it'll be 16 weeks before you're like, oh my God, now I, now I remember. So like, so I created this business that was successful and I immediately sold it. <laughs> did you really? You're like, I did. Here, here you go. That's interesting. Uh I did. And so, so now the balance, at least for now is, 
I'm focusing on my membership, the marketing Camelot. And then I have, uh, I have like two clients and one, one of them is one of them just, just giving me a standing invitation, Agora financial. They, they told me they don't work with freelancers anymore. They have all in-house guys are all on contract guys, but they gave me a standing invitation. Like, Hey, any of our stuff that you want to write for, just let us know and you've got a gig. So I've got them and I've got one other supplement company that has me on retainer and, and that's it. So I've, I don't think I've gone extreme in the client work and I still have my own business. So it feels like a balance. Yeah, it feels like a nice balance. That's interesting. So I remember I talked to you about three years ago, and uh, two and a half years ago, I started my my company, um, and with Don, and we're in the process right now of releasing that business to him and seeing what that looks like. But we built it up pretty well. It was about a one point five million. So uh, a lot of that I think had to do with my training with you, and I still have your letters. In fact, they're right here. I can't see them, but they're like right here all your letters. Of oh, cool. Norman Dan letters. And I still read them. The cool thing about your work and your writings is that it's very timeless. You know, and that's one thing I think that you taught me is that copywriting is timeless. We haven't changed that much. In fact, I think you taught me that specifically. We haven't changed that much as human beings. Technology has altered and obviously we have things now like Facebook Live and all this is kind of cool. But at the end of the day, human beings haven't altered that much. Why we buy, why we don't buy. And someone who's not only launched one settlement company, then helped other people launch other settlement companies and then relaunched one and then sold it and all that. Do you find that that hasn't changed still, even in that one niche of settlement companies? You would think it's saturated, you know, but in that niche of settlement companies and supplement world, I mean, it's a big world, by the way. Do you find that it is is saturated at this point, or do you find that the 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 triggers of why people buy and don't buy haven't changed that much? It it sure doesn't seem like it has changed much at all. You know, I I've seen people try to sell supplements as a prevention thing, you know, and like take this and it will prevent whatever, fill in the blanks, heart, heart issues or this or that, or, and it's people don't buy prevention. People buy solutions to problems. And, and if you look back at some of like those really old mail order ads, when they would sell the elixir in the bottle, which was probably nothing but cocaine and sugar, you know, and alcohol, which granted, I mean, you would feel better. So they weren't lying. Uh, <laughs> that would be a really good combo. And I'm sure you have to like, get a lot done, you know, but yeah. Heck yeah. Um, geez, if only we could get our hands on those today. But um, what solution were they selling? You think even back then in the old fashioned mail order, even then you see like, Sometimes they target it to a specific thing, like this cures, uh, whatever lum puckaroo or or whatever, or you know, or sometimes they do a general. It'd be a general health tonic, like ah, get get up and go back and get rid of crow's feet and and get your sex drive back. Although back in those days, I guess they wouldn't call it sex drive. I don't know what they called it back then. Call it back then. But you know. It's all about addressing a problem, and it's still the same today with supplements. You, you know, it's all about there's a 
this supplement is for heart health. This one is for blood sugar health and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's still the same. Human nature hasn't changed. People buy for for selfish reasons, and it's to either to to get a gain or avoid pain. Oh, I love that. To avoid a gain. To avoid pain or get a gain. And actually, avoiding pain is the biggie. People will will do much more to avoid pain than get any kind of gain. Oh, I love that. I just put that up there. People buy for selfish reasons to avoid a pain or get a gain. So you find this element company, Element World today, it's still to avoid a pain. I mean, right now, um, the one I'm, I, there's an infomercial that constantly, my Sarah Villa, MySaraVilla.com. So this one is a pill that if you listen to the infomercial, if you just listen to the copy and close your eyes, which is beautiful, right? Close your eyes and listen to the copy, not look at all the images. Literally, this pill makes you perfect. That, I swear to God, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Do you have cellulite? It'll get rid of that. Do you have fat? It'll get rid of that. If you want to be beautiful, it'll, it'll make you beautiful. Like, if you listen to the copy, that's what it's saying. It's like, yeah, I want, I want that. That works, Sarah Vella, Tella, that works. I'll buy that, you know? And I think that's the, I mean, that, I don't even, I think it's an HGH pill um, at this point, Sarah, by Sarah Tella Vella. But if you really listen to the copy, it's pretty, you take this pill and you will be a, a 10. You'll be a 10. Is that avoiding the pain or is that getting the gain? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting case study. The first thought I had is, how do I get that pill? I want to be perfect. I know. That's what. The, if you seriously, if you listen to the copy, like I always close my eyes, and listen to the real copy, not the imagery. And the the worst one with that is when you listen to pharmaceutical drug company copy. When you do oh that, the imagery, the gorgeous imagery, and you actually listen to like, you you can get this pill and you'll have a nice erection, but you will vomit. You will, <laughs> you will feel like crap for five days. You're like, what? <laughs> and they still sell that stuff by the billions. Because they had this hot smoking chick like doing this on the Viagra commercial. Meanwhile, if you really listen to it, it literally sounds like you're going to have, you know, an erection, but you'll be puking at the time. <laughs> like, it's not fun. It doesn't sound good, you know. So um, I'm curious, have you ever done any pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical copy? Have you ever done I, that? I never have. I have to admit, I'm I'm fascinated with what they do. I find it brilliant brilliantly evil uh but yet brilliant regardless and i think it's a great example of i mean we it's not about it's not about the product it's not about the copy it's about the mark it's it's all about the market when you really know your market and you know their biggest hot button issue all, all that stuff is like secondary. I mean, the fact that they can sell a boner pills or what Viagra Cialis with copy that says, you know, there's a hot chick and it, it basically implies, you know, hey, yo, geezer, you're going to be able to do women like this and, you know, you're going to be a stallion in the bedroom. Oh, by the way, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have uh, uncontrollable flatulence, a piece of a pizza face, a unibrow. Uh, you'll vomit right immediately before orgasm. It, it, it's like that stuff just doesn't matter because, like, they've hit the big hot button. Guys want to be able to get a boner and, and nail hot women. 
Yeah, how, you know what I find? What I find interesting on those particular commercials and the Viagra ones, because I watch them. I really watch. I watch two ways. I watch sometimes. I'll just close my eyes, listen to the copy, and then sometimes I'll watch the imagery. Why are they picking that image? Why are they picking that particular view of the camera? And one thing I realized with that one, and they, they started doing it a couple of years ago. They didn't start it out this way. They must have shifted. Is that you know there's a man in the picture, you know, because you can kind of see his hand or like you don't see his face. There's never a face. There's like a side view, right? You always see the woman's face. The camera's always on the woman, and she's looking at some random person. But there's no guy. And so I think that's an imagery thing of, like, they are want to visualize themselves there. You know what I mean? Versus actually seeing the guy's face, like whatever. The you know, that's interesting. I never noticed that. I he would, like, she'd, be on, she'd be on the bed. And you know a guy walks in because you'll see like person walking in, but you only see like the chest down, like a chest. Like you'll never see his face. You never see his face. Gray hair, you can tell the older, but you don't really see his body. You don't really see his face. So it's kind of like, oh, that could be me. You know? Like, uh, I need to pay more attention to that. I hadn't picked up on that. Even though I'm a visual person, I think. Like, when it comes to copy, I, I sometimes get stuck in a box and just focus on the words and, and less on the visual images. But that's, that's really a good observation. It is. The other one is it's some diabetic medication. I don't know. But it's a, it's a woman. They chose a black woman as the main person. And then she's walking through life, but life isn't real. It's all uh, faceless people, all her friends. Like, she's having lunch with a friend, but it's a it's a it's a it's a cartoon, and there's no face. She's like, hi, you know, <laughs> with the face. Everyone else is faceless. And it's really, if you think about the psychology of that, it's really interesting. You know, you're like, everyone, are, and she's like saying hello to a dog. The dog doesn't have a face either. You can tell it's a dog, and there's like a, some man next to her. Looks like maybe a spouse or something, right? But there's no face to this person. It's really, it's like you wonder what they're thinking from a psychological perspective in a copy. I'm, I've always wanted to know that. That's why I was asking. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I find what they do, you know, fascinating. Talk about getting paid the big bucks, the right? Pharmaceutical copy stuff. I know. Where do you get that job? Yeah, exactly. And it's short copy too. It's not like these 30,000 word tomes like I've been writing lately. Yeah. And I, you know, you wonder what the headline is for that copyright job. Co evil copywriter. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an evil copywriter that wants to sell? <laughs> right? Get people addicted to drugs. Addicted drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sold. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm making fun of that. So t can you tell us at all about your uh, settlement companies that you sold recently? Or no, no, yes? So, well, actually... Again, how that came about is I thought, all right, well, do I, do I still have this? I just taught a bunch of guys to do it, and I haven't done it myself for several years. So, so yeah, so I, I, I sourced a product, wrote the ad. How it really turned out was I, I ran the ad, and it was just like a tad bit under break even. And, but then I listened to all the call recordings because I drove to a call center. And I listened to all the call recordings, and I immediately knew the mistake I made in the ad. So I had, um, I did a mastermind meeting in Orlando, 
And one of the guys there had just sold a supplement business on Amazon and was looking for something else to do. And I told him, you know, I just launched this business and I'm finally able to admit to myself that I just, I suck at operations. Like, don't show me a, P, a P&L sheet. I don't want to see that stuff. Don't, I don't even talk to me about inventory. It already raises my blood pressure. I realize why I sold the last business. I just want to do the marketing stuff. So long story short, I, and I told him, like, this ad, here are the numbers. It was just barely below break even. Although you could scale up with this, I figured out what I did wrong in the copy, and I can get this to better than break even. And so he acquired the business. At a, knowing what I know now, I should have sold it for a lot more. <laughs> but... um but part of the deal was I would fix the ad, and I did fix the ad, and he ran it uh, initially in newspapers and got a three-point-something MER, which stands for Media Efficiency Ratio. So that's return on ad spend, which means he was profitable right from the get-go. He's profitable on the front end. Yeah, that's really hard to do. So he's since... Hold on. So let me just explain what he just said for people who are like, what the hell did he just say? So he ran an ad and he barely broke even. So it's like you spend, let's say four, I don't know what you spend, but let's say someone spends four grand on media, they barely make four grand back. So that's called breaking even. In the world of copy, that's not bad. You know, it's like, you know, but you have to make at least a one or two X to be able to then do it again, right? So as long as you, if you have, if you have a good back end, then you can do the break even all day long and your back end is fine. So then with you, what he did is he fixed the copy based on feedback of the customer, which is brilliant. And then he pushed the copy again in a different medium, it's a different medium or a medium. And whoever the, the new owner was, let's say they spent 5X, $5,000, then they got 3.5 return on the investment, which is huge. That's, that's pretty unheard of actually that i and how's it doing today do you know so uh he did a test in direct mail and it brought back 5x to cold lists in direct mail so yeah so he's pretty darn happy and i'm as happy for him as can be because my thought was hmm I should have kept that business and just hired somebody to manage all the operation stuff. But, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. That's the, the that's what I've done throughout my entire entrepreneurial career. <laughs> you know, something I learned in my the supplement company that I'm in the process of un, uncollapsing now is that the piece that I really enjoyed to do of it, which is you're, we're talking about, you know, what you like to do. I like the marketing, but I like the operation. Do you really? Yeah. Like the op, looking at, here's what I found I'm good at. I'm on copy. I can handle it. You know what I mean? Like I can handle small copy or classified copy or email copy. I'm great. Any kind of big copy like you do, it just, it's just like too much for me. It overwhelms me. Dealing with systems and structures and operations. And I literally dealt with all day long how to make things tighter. Tighter uh, inventory, watching that P and like I, I got off on that stuff. That's what I loved to do, and unfortunately, we didn't have the money, or we didn't. We didn't have the money. We just didn't put the money into copywriting. So 
our copywriting was it was it was it wasn't like great you know but we were also weren't doing cold traffic either so that was fine we were kind of doing a warm list to that um but yeah i really realized what i loved i loved dealing with the amazon stuff i loved dealing with the i dealt with the the manufacturer i dealt with the the systems the structures making sure the customer customer relations part was i like i loved that part i loved managing this the the team ongoingly like i watched the hum of the business every day that's what i loved to do that's that's a really valuable skill i mean that's where i've i did that for so many years and only recently was able to admit to myself that i suck at it and should not be doing it like i could have made so much more money having someone or partnering with somebody or hiring someone to do that for me because you know, I'm just like, ah, we make making money? Yeah, we're making money. Let's just, ah, let's throw more mud up against the wall and see what sticks. Or let's, hey, let's scale up these ads and, you know, not keep it on top of that stuff uh, to maximize net profit and, you know, just avoid <laughs> inventory issues like I always seem to have had in the past, like not placing orders in time that though until recently until this particular business i always thought no i'm good at the copy that's what i love to do um but if when it really came down to the day-to-day stuff and i i'm okay with what i call email copy which is again i'm not great at it i feel like with email copy you can kind of be a c writer or b writer and kind of get away with it as long as you're just driving people to a link you can kind of get away with it you know um not with not with cold traffic you can't get away with like you can't get away with like graded graded copy on cold traffic you just can't you'll kill yourself which is what you're great at i'm not forget about it i'll have to hire that out completely but i loved the humming of the engine that's what i i lived for it's like that humming and and finding a system yeah it's super weird so i'm just now learning about like you, you said you're you learned you know i gotta really this is like what i'm not great at i'm the opposite like i'm sort of finally getting it that's that's cool that you identify that you know i think what a lot of people find is not only do they make more money when they find their, you know, they, when they, when they focus on what they're good at, but just they enjoy life a lot more instead of like forcing yourself to try to do something that isn't your, you know, isn't your core competency. Um, I've done that so many times so with running the business, you know, forcing myself to, be the operations guy. Cause I thought, well, you know, to be a good entrepreneur, I got to do everything myself. And, you know, instead of just focusing on the stuff that I'm good at, which is, you know, living like JD Salinger in an underground bunker and never seeing other human beings for 18 months stuck in front of a computer screen, writing copy. You can't be sane and be a, a good copywriter. I mean, who in the right mind wants to sit in front of a computer writing words all day? It just ain't right. It's not right. Like, where's Dan? Where's <laughs> Dark hole writing. <laughs> You'd be like, I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, I get that. See, I've always felt like I've had, this is just like an understanding. I've always felt like I've had to be like that. Like I have to be like that. And I found myself that the more I try to be like that, it, it, um, I get depressed because I'm not 
connecting with other people. Yeah, I could totally see that for you because, I mean, you're such an extrovert. And, and most copywriters, you know, even though I play an extrovert on TV, I am a, a big-time introvert. You know, like I am in my element when I'm alone. Or just with the dog, he's sleeping in this little bed right over here. Um, but, like, I'm comfortable then, and that energizes me. I'm un- Even though I do it a lot, I'm uncomfortable with connecting with people and being in groups and speaking in front of people and stuff like that. That seriously sucks energy out of me. Whereas an extrovert's complete opposite, where, you know, making yourself sit down in front of a computer and write copy if you're an extrovert is just torture. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I've written a lot of books too. And be like, how do you do that? And I never want to tell my little secret. My little secret is like, I never write a book. I always speak a book. I yeah. That's smart. Hell no, I can't. I mean, I'll write the description and I'll write the summary. Those are the only things I'll, I'll write. Everything else is I record it and then it gets transcribed and then someone else edits it, makes it pretty. And then I kind of like, I watch that editing process. I'll edit my own work. Um, and then that's it. Cause it drives me nuts. In fact, I'm right now in the middle of a launch of a book and my, uh, the guy I'm working with, he's like, you freaking edit your book. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it makes me tired. I'm like, I don't want to. It's like, he's like, it's your own book. I'm like, I, know, I, I have to go swimming. I don't really <laughs> I bet it does because it's like this is those are not things that an extrovert should be doing. I mean, your strong points are c- connecting with people, being the like the music producer model, you know. I'm the producer of the record label. Yeah, you're, you're the person who hires the the insane people that want to be copyrighted. You put the whole deal together, so you hire the Rolling Stones and the recording engineer and. You know, and all those guys, the people who press the the records on to vinyl. <laughs> no, I'm seriously dating myself. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm. But you're a bit yes. But I noticed when I I remember when I my first mastermind with you, we were afterwards in Orlando or the Disney where we were at Disney, and we all hung out afterwards. And I found like I was expecting us all hang out for like hours, and it was like an hour, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to bed. Believe it. Bye. And he just like took off, and which is fine. I, you're exhausted, but everyone did. What was interesting? You attracted the same, so everyone was like, "Yeah, it's like eight. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be going to bed in an hour. Yeah, and like I'm out. I'm like, okay, like, can you? Y'all want a cocktail? Y'all want to like hang? So it was interesting. You attracted the same the same people, um, which I actually loved. I'm actually introvert extrovert. I don't. When I'm around people a lot, I get drained as well. But just sitting there writing like what you do, I, lo- I respect so much what you do, Doberman Dan, because of what who you are, what you do, and how you're able just to sit there with the copy and like literally create on words. That's pretty brilliant. So I just wanted to you know acknowledge that. You're pretty awesome. So uh, well, we're, you're welcome. I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, take up your time. Your time is valuable. So where can people find you in the Camelot? Be part of your amazing group versus just just stumbling upon you, uh, where can they find you and be a part of your organization, your group, your training? So there are two ways. Well, I take it back. So there are three ways. Um, uh, 
the first kind of like the primary way of getting into my world is at dobermandan.com. And uh, you can get a free PDF issue of my newsletter there. And then I send out daily emails. So that drives you crazy. You probably don't want to opt in. Um, And then also I do a weekly podcast. That's uh, called Off the Chain with Doberman Dan. Thank you. And it's on iTunes, or you can also find it at offthechainshow.com. And then if anybody wants in, uh, information about my membership, the Marketing Camelot, that's at marketingcamelot.com. And I appreciate you allowing me to promote those. Oh, yeah. Marketing Cam lot Is it it's C-A-M? C-A-M-E-L-O-T. Marketing Camelot. All one word. There you go, marketingcamelot.com. Go check it out, um, as well as dermandam.com and his podcast, which I think I'm going to be on here. Yeah, we're set up here to record in another week or so, or a couple weeks, I guess. Off the chain, Dan. off the chain, Dan. Um, on iTunes. Check that out. And this is so dermandam.com as well as marketingcamelot.com. Thank you so much for being here and just sharing you and sharing your experiences and also just catching us up with what Doberman Dan is up to. And uh, I appreciate you very much. All right, everyone, this is Heather Havenwood. Check me out at heatherhavenwood.com. Are you frustrated by the weight you can't lose? One sneaky ingredient goes by 61 different names and isn't required on food labels, but it could be causing those stubborn pounds to stay stuck. That extra weight is not your fault. A new report, The Hidden Culprit Sabotaging Your Weight Loss, is available now at heathercleanliver.com, reveals this ingredient and how it's preventing you from losing weight. If you're struggling and you want to break free from dieting misery, visit Heather's cleanliver.com right away and get your free report. It's an eye opener. What you don't know could be hurting you. The extra weight is not your fault. Visit heathercleanliver.com. Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook, when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200, and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.